Welcome to the Healthy Hormones for Women podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Gladish, online nutritionist, weight loss coach, and hormone fixer-upper. I'm excited to bring you a weekly dose of information and inspiration, sharing with you simple and effective strategies from health, wealth, and all things personal growth. Get ready to become the master of your hormones and experience vibrant health to live a life of more power and possibility. Ladies, welcome back. I hope your day is off to an amazing start and that you are doing amazing, feeling amazing, and enjoying this incredible sunny, warm weather. At least here in Ontario, the weather has been beautiful this past week and I am literally soaking it all up. I basically don't want to do anything. Like, I don't know if you have the same feeling, but like this weather is so amazing. I just want to like hide my to-do list and my laptop under a rock and I don't want to look at it till the fall and I just want to enjoy the summer and get out there and be in this sunshine. It feels like we went through, well, I mean, we did go through a very cold winter, but I feel like it was very prolonged and then April was super cold. Most of May was actually really cold and gloomy and gray skies and rain. So I am totally soaking this all in and getting my vitamin D on. So I hope you are too and getting out there and really taking some time for yourself and enjoying all the beauty that is around you. Before we dive into our episode today, I want to share a few things. I had a bunch of people reach out and ask me about my oatmeal chocolate chip cookies, my gluten-free ones. Yes, the recipe is on my Instagram and they are honestly like the greatest oatmeal cookie recipe ever. I'm telling you, they're so damn good. And yes, the recipe is on my Instagram, but you obviously would have to scroll through there. So if you head to my website, holisticwellness.ca, just search oatmeal chocolate chip cookies and you will find them. They will pop up. They are so good and I absolutely love them. And I'm thinking... I might just have to go bake some today because now that I'm talking about them, I really want to eat them. Also, I want to mention that I've gotten so much amazing feedback and so many of you have been sharing pictures of you wearing your Harmony necklace and sending them to me on Instagram and I love it and it's so cute seeing that and I'm so glad you guys are loving the Harmony pendant. This is a beautiful pendant that you can order from the Harmony website, of course, and the 50% discount code is still available because I've had a bunch of people reach out and asking if they can still access it. So there's two ways for you to get your hands on the Harmony pendant. And uh, maybe you're looking for a gift for someone as well. Um, I bought it for myself for Christmas and I also bought one for Gaytan. So even for like Father's Day, it doesn't necessarily mean that this pendant is only for women. It's it's men, women, whomever, like uh, your kids. And it's a really beautiful necklace that you can wear and it is going to minimize your exposure to EMFs. And we dove into the Harmony pendant in episode 144. So if you head to the website, if you head to holisticwellness.ca forward slash episode 144, and if you just scroll in the show notes there, you will see the link there to go purchase the Harmony Pendant and save 50% off. It says it right there in the links two things I talk about in the show. And it says, save up to 50% on the Harmony Pendant by clicking this link. You just kind of have to scroll through and you'll find that link and you can click there and you can go order your Harmony Pendant. That link for the 50% off saving is also in my Instagram bio, FYI. So there's not a coupon code that I can share with you. It's an actual specific page that 
Harmony has put up for us to order at the 50% savings. So definitely check that out and send me your pictures. I love seeing them. It's so cute. You guys have been sharing them with me over on Instagram and um, just telling me how much you love it. So definitely share that with me. I love seeing that. And speaking of Harmony, another Harmony that I love is the Organifi Harmony it is back in stock. So please check it out. If you haven't tried it yet, it is one of my favorite products from Organifi. Just head to OrganifiShop.com. You can use the coupon code HEALTHYHORMONES and save 15% off your purchase site-wide over at Organifi. And the Harmony is one of my favorites because it is a blend of different herbs that are supportive for a women's cycle. So you are going to find um, herbs in here like shadow Adivari and chaseberry and maca, all that are really supportive for PMS and cramping and support energy and are also really great for adrenal health. There is cacao in here, so it is delicious and chocolatey and ginger and turmeric and coconut milk, like really simple ingredients and carefully chosen ingredients for women's health and hormones. So I love it and I drink it every day and I ordered two tubs because I'm like, this thing sells out fast. So I wanted to make sure that I have some on hand. And uh, I know that earlier this year, they had a bit of an issue like with with COVID and getting shipping and ingredients and access to stuff. And so it was sold out for quite some time and now they have it back in stock. So check it out and let me know how you like it. It truly is delicious. Okay. So those are my little tidbits that I want to share with you before we dive into our episode today. And I know you're truly going to enjoy this episode. I'm interviewing Dr. Stephanie Estima, and she is an expert in metabolism and body composition. She is a doctor of chiropractic with a special interest in functional neurology, brain metabolism, exercise physiology, and the specific application of the ketogenic diet, protein cycling, and fasting to female physiology and health. This was such a great episode. She has her new book out that's called The Betty Body. And so we talk about what a Betty is. And then we talk about our menstrual cycle and how we can really adapt our nutrition and our exercise to our menstrual cycle and our fluctuating hormones throughout the month. We talk about protein cycling and keto cycling and just ways to truly optimize our physique, our nutrition, our energy, our sleep, all of it. It's such a great episode and I know you're really going to enjoy it. So let's dive in. And of course, you can connect with me over on Instagram at Holistic Wellness Foodie after the show if you have questions and always share topics with me that you would love for me to dive into. I always love receiving that and it gives me some great ideas for future topics and episodes. So let's dive into the episode. Enjoy. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today. I'm so thrilled to be here. I'm so happy to be here. And let me just say, like your audio is on point. It sounds amazing. Yeah, Thank you sound you. so good. From I'm, one podcaster to another, right? That means quite a bit. Yeah, yes, thanks. yes, <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm so excited to dive in today. And before we do, I would love it if you can share with our audience more about who you are and what you do. Sure. Yeah. So, um, classically trained as a chiropractor, so really fell in love with the brain and the neuromusculoskeletal system from even, you know, my training in university, my degrees in neuroscience and psychology. So I was always fascinated with neuroscience. 
and really was able to pair that through my professional education with the body work and the physical presentation of when the nervous system, when the neuro, you know, the neuromusculoskeletal system goes awry. And in, in, you know, the 16 years that I spent in private practice, one of the things that naturally came about was when we would talk about nutrition, because that's a really important part of pursuing brain health and, and healthy brain aging and, you know, healthy, strong uh, muscular system, bone system, sure. um, was that there was a difference between men and women uh, in terms of outcome, in terms of, I couldn't just cookie cutter the same plan for a man as I could for a woman. Totally. And over many, you know, for several years, sort of looking at these patterns and becoming more interested in female physiology, I started to, uh, I decided to go all in on, on female metabolism, uh, body composition, and what are some of the factors that can help or hinder uh, a woman's progress in the area of balancing her hormones in, you know, all women, we all think, I mean, everybody has to eat, but we all, you know, women in particular, we love our food, right? Totally. So how, how we can be choosing um, better a better making better choices for ourselves. What are the elements of self sabotage and sort of the neuroscience behind that? So that's that's sort of a you know a, a back of the envelope elevator you know uh, summary <laughs> of who I am. But I, I ju I'm just really obsessed with all things female physiology and have dedicated the better part of my career to understanding it. That's amazing. Well, we need women like you so that you can share this message with the world and help women transform their health and their hormones. And so I'm assuming this is what led you to write The Betty Body. It is. Book. Yes. Yes. My, my <laughs> child, we were talking about your recipes that you birthed for the 30 day hormone solution. And my Betty Body is my child. It is totally. the fourth child in my family. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it took me about two years to write this book, and it was all very similar uh, themes to what your book uh, entails. So, really talking about the female, the distinct female presentation of how hormones can go awry, both in you know in her twenties, but more specifically in her thirties, her forties, and then when she reaches uh, this great passage of menopause, what are some of the things that can happen? to her physiology? And then what are some of the modifications that she might consider for optimizing hormones, for optimizing her mindset, for her moods, for her sleep, all the things. So um, in the book, we talk about nutritional proxies, exercise, which I'm a huge, huge fan of by way of my background and my own competed in several, you know, in fitness competitions myself. So just really in love with exercise physiology in general, and then mindset stuff. Cause that's I mean, you and I both know, right? Like I can give you the nutrition, like yes. I can give you all the recipes and the caloric breakdown and like where to shop for the ingredients. But at the end of the day, if you don't actually believe that you're worth it, or you have elements of self-sabotage or, you know, this sort of uh, destructive types of thinking, um, then it's, you'll kind of do it a little bit and then you'll fall off and then you'll, you'll think you're the worst or something wrong with you. And then totally. you'll kind of jump to the next diet. So I talk a lot about how we can reduce our chronic low-grade stress and inflammation, how we can just be a little easier on ourselves, you know, mm -hmm. like as women that we can cut some of these energetic cords around failure and to embrace it. Um, and that it's a part, it's a necessary part of success. Like we're not all born, you know, we're not all Selena Williams from the, you know, from the beginning, like we all like we right. lose, like we fall flat on our face. Right. And that's, yep. that's the making of a champion is someone who consistently, fails and is okay with failure and changes the narrative around what failure does. So 
yeah, that's kind of the book in a nutshell. I love that. Yeah. And that's a really beautiful message because I know so many of us, we we are going to fail. Like that's just a, that's a part of life. You, you are going to fail and it's a part of just accepting that, accepting that that's part of the process. Like nothing is just super linear and especially I'm sure you know, and I know of growing a business and being an entrepreneur and like, oh my, yeah, she just rolled Fail, her eyes. People, you can't see city. her. <laughs> like failure city, right? Yes. It's yeah. Like some days you're like, I'm on top of the world. And then the totally. other days you're like, why did I choose this life for myself? Totally. Yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And so I've just, my failures have just taught me so many amazing lessons and it's allowed me to go back to the drawing board and refine and retweak things and get better at my craft. And if we can see things in that way, um, we'll be more likely to have more success and keep moving forward, which is so important. So thanks for sharing that message in your book. I'm sure we'll dive into that in our message today, but let's talk about what is a Betty? What is a Betty? This is <laughs> yeah, very confusing. <laughs> the Betty so, body. The Betty body. So as you as you know, I'm a, a fellow podcaster. So my podcast is called Better with Dr. Stephanie. And we started calling the fans of the Better Podcast our Bettys. So that's sort of where it came from. It's the Love Better it. Podcast, my Bettys. And then it was so sticky. You know, I didn't intend for it to be this way, but we would read, you know, let's say a review that came in on iTunes or whatever. And it would say, this is the best podcast. I'm a Betty for life. And like, we started seeing this globally. So this is the States, Canada, in Europe, Australia, right. New Zealand. We're like, oh, well, maybe there's something here to this, to this name or to this word. So um, my partner, Giovanni, who I, I believe, you know, oh, yeah. looked it up on uh, the urban dictionary. So, you know, the, the, <laughs> which is the, you know, the premier thing, if you want to ha- know slang, that's where you, totally. that's where you sort of go. Um, and a Betty in according to the urban dictionary i talk about this in the book but the the way that they describe a betty is a modern day triple threat so she's quirky and loving she's just as beautiful on the inside as she might be on the outside and it's more important for her internal environment you know what she feels and looks like on the inside versus her external appearance and she's a go-getter and she's driven. And I said, oh my God, these are like all of the things that I myself, like I'm quirky, I'm loving, you know, I, I oh have this pursuit of excellence. So it really fit the description of who, if I were to describe myself, I would describe myself as a Betty. And I think that the pursuit of becoming, uh, embodying some of these qualities, like becoming a Betty uh, was really sexy. So we called it the Betty body, not like the Stephanie body or whatever. Cause like, how boring is that? Like, this is what I do every day. Like, it's not worth writing a book about that, you know, maybe a blog post or something on Instagram, but right. um, it was really when I was thinking about the title, it was, you know, size agnostic. Like, I don't care if you are a size two or you're size 20, you know, this is about you feeling really great in your body, which, you know, I know we'll get into today, but that is absolutely your, in your design. It is your birthright to feel good in the container that you call your body. So the Betty body is just really like, what it means to be a Betty and embodying that. So having a body that you love, you're proud of, no matter how much cellulite you have, like, by the way, 95% of us, we all have it, you know, like loving all the stuff and then not being afraid to set goals for yourself because there's sort of this, um, 
You know, when we kind of look in the online space now around health and diet culture, we sort of see two extremes, right? It's like one is like the fat loss, the weight loss, you have to do it this way and you have to look like like this person. Right. And then we have this health at any size movement where you can look and, you know, any, it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside, as long as you're metabolically healthy. And I agree with both of them. I'm sort of the extreme middle, (laughs) if you will. Like I sort of take a little bit from both of those and say, okay, it doesn't matter what size you are. That is absolutely true. As long as you can demonstrate metabolic health. And if you are a size that you are not happy with, whether that's from childbirth or being a mother or career or, you know, whatever it is, then you can also set goals for yourself without shame because I think that one of the things that that the health at any size movement kind of gets wrong is that you should be happy with how you look forever. You should not be aspiring to set any goals. How you are is perfect. And I agree with that sentiment, but some people also want to set goals for themselves. Like I want to be able to do a pistol squat. I want to be able to, there's like, I want to be able to do 10 unassisted pull-ups. You know, if I were to follow that, you know, philosophy to the letter, I would basically be denying myself this ability to improve. Totally. So, yeah. I love that. That's beautiful. And so when you say metabolic health, can you maybe expand on that a little bit and tell us like what does it mean to be metabolically healthy? This is such a good question. Mm-hmm. Uh, a very complex question actually. So I'm going to sure. I'm going to try to um, unpack it in in the way that I sim- can um, most elegantly, most simply. For sure. So when, when we talk about metabolic health, what we're talking about is that you have an appropriate internal and external response to the food that you're eating, the activities that you are engaging in, or the thoughts that you're having about yourself. So when we talk about food, for example, um, if you are metabolically healthy and you have, you know, I'm looking at the picture behind you now, I see that is a cauliflower gnocchi, yes. you know, that you might be consuming, you are not going to have a deranged insulin response to that. So you are going to, assuming you are going to have the appropriate lean muscle mass, which you've been developing either mechanically in the gym, chemically in the kitchen, you are going to have the, the assets to dispose of the glucose when we when we can, when we take in vegetables which are carbohydrate most most of those carbohydrates are turned into glucose so we have the appropriate agents to appropriately distribute the glucose to the cells that need the glucose and we will dispose of the excess glucose that we do not need without causing this hyperinsulinemia or uh, you know, on the flip side, if we talk about, you know, we're just talking about self-sabotage. If you have, let's say a piece of cake, you're at a wedding or you're at, you know, some event and you have, you know, food and you have these punitive thoughts about what a failure you are, what a loser you are, how could you have fallen off the diet? This is going to cause hypercortisolemia or excess stress hormone which is actually going to last far longer than the insulin response. Like, (laughs) you know, when you eat, when you have something, it's kind of over in about two hours, right? Like the hormonal response is pretty much done. You know, there's some, you know, things that sort of continue on, but like for the most part, the digestion piece of it is done in about two hours. But I would argue that most women who have the piece of cake or have the extra, you know, muffin or whatever, that that punitive thinking lasts for days, if not weeks. And then we develop stories about ourselves, about how we start things, but we can never follow through and how we always try to start something. And then we always self-sabotage in some way. So, um, 
metabolic health, I think, encompasses both the food that you're eating, the way that you're moving, and we can talk about the difference, different ways that you can move, sure. and then the way that you're thinking about yourself, and then the hormonal responses to those stimuli. Okay. I love that. That was a really great breakdown. So I'd love to dive deeper into nutrition and training and how we can use that to really optimize our hormonal health. And I know you do a lot of work around nutrition and training specifically in relation to your menstrual cycle and really honoring that cycle. So let's dive into that and um, yeah, take us through what that might look like and the differences through the different phases of the menstrual cycle. Amazing. I love this. And this was this is the crux of the book really is like how we can use our menstrual cycle to dictate as women how we're actually not little men. Like that's sort of a secret message. Like we're actually totally. not smaller archetypes of men. You know, we we operate differently and so many of us you know, we see online gurus that are, you know, fasting for seven days and then they're doing keto for five years. And you're like, I should do that. I totally. should fast for seven days and I should do keto for this. So, you know, we see these, these, you know, oh, I'm using air quotes here, like yeah. gurus yeah. and what that might be very beneficial for their constitution. So not taking away from their, you know, or not judging their behaviors, sure. but when we look at someone else and we say, I'm going to do that. And they're of a different gender, uh, well, I should say different sex than you, right? So gender is, a, you know, it's a bit more fluid, but sex is very much like male, female, right? Right. Um, so when we look at someone who has a, you know, a different sex than you, and you're not taking into consideration the differing hormonal milieu that you have, uh, this is a recipe for disaster. And I talk about my own personal experience in the book, how my menstrual cycle, I used to feel like it was a punishment every month for being a woman. Like I had mm. the worst cramps. My, my breasts were angry. Like they were so hot and tender and the worst cramping. I couldn't think I was, you know, drugged up every month on painkillers and I was taking the coffee and all the things that I was trying to, uh, you know, bring down the symptoms of, of menstruation around. For sure. And I think a lot of women, like I'm not alone in that. I used to think I was like the only totally. freak, yep. but there's so many of us that hate our periods. We, and yes. it's almost become sort of like socially acceptable to, you know, to talk about menstrual pain, like it's this normal thing. And um, I think we really need to distinguish and be very careful with our language around determining what's normal. I'm sure you've talked about this in the pod, what's right. normal versus what's common, right? If something is, if we think that menstrual pain is normal, we're very unlikely to seek a solution to this normal problem. Right. Right. Versus, okay, I know I'm having menstrual pain. It's a very common thing, but let me try and find what's actually happening. What is causing my breasts to be so angry every month? Why right. am I getting this moodiness? Why am I, why do I feel like I'm falling off a cliff the in the couple of days before my period? So, with that said, in the book, I go through in extensive detail every single week in terms of what the hormonal landscape looks like and the varying hormonal milieu that you will see, you know, not just week over week, but truly day over day, if you are right. still in your reproductive years. And that includes my ladies in perimenopause. So if you're in your forties, I'm also talking to you. We tend to label ourselves and think that we don't, we don't, we don't still don't, but if you're still cycling, if you're still yes. ovulating and menstruating, this also applies to you. And so what I do is we go over, you know, the normal, what a normal menstrual cycle should look like, how to be, you know, in the book, I call it your CPO, like your chief period officer. Mm -hmm. Like, how can you 
get data from your menstrual cycle to give you, cause your body's always talking to you, right? She's always telling you what's going on. So, um, you know, one of the biggest things, if you're not, you know, to, you know, the listeners of this pod, if you're not already doing this, the best thing that you can do is to track your cycle. So free apps all over the place, right? I use a, an app called clue C L U E. And you can extract so much data, like it's inc- like so much, like the length of your cycle, the, the total cycle, not just how long you bleed, but like the right. whole shebang, right? Is right. it 28 days, 30 days, whatever. The quality of your bleed, what type of clotting are you getting? How much clotting are you getting? When is the heavy bleed stop? What's the color of your bleed? How does it change over the course? Like totally. there's so, so much stuff you can get. So yes. track your cycle if you're not already doing that. And then the clues that your body is giving you. So for example, I've, I've said a couple of times now, my breasts were very tender. Yeah. This is usually an indication. Uh, and this is, you know, a pattern, like I'm, you know, I'm not di- diagnosing anybody here, but this is a pattern that I've recognized where it tends to be that a woman will run more estrogen dominant in the second half of her cycle. So that's after ovulation to the point of uh, her bleed week. If your breasts tend to be, more tender in that 12 to 16 day period, it's usually, usually a sign that your estrogen levels are going unopposed relative to progesterone. And if that's confusing to you, and you've probably talked about this a lot on on your podcast, but check out the book and you can, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. So when we think about nutritional strategies, there are certain times of your cycle where you are very adept at, um, for example, fasting or macronutrient restriction. Like if you have ever tried the ketogenic diet, uh, hopefully you've done it with a uh, either a female practitioner or the program has been designed for women because mm-hmm. keto for men and keto for men and women, it's totally different. Mm-hmm. But in the first two weeks of your cycle, we, we classify this as the follicular phase because what's happening is the follicle is developing. Right. So we name it after the follicle. Um, tends to be a better time for you to engage in fasting. Totally. Now, fasting in and of itself is its own podcast. Um, Mm -hmm. There are different ways to fast, right? So there in the book, I talk about, you know, the different levers that you can pull. So like the type of fast, the length of fast, the frequency of your fasts. And Mm -hmm. within that, there are many subcategories. But if you were to try, let's say a water fast, this would be a really good time, like a 24 hour fast. Let's say this would be a good time in your cycle to do it because you tend to be less inflamed. Estrogen, progesterone is not there. So she's not... um, you know, progesterone is a stimulator of your appetite, slows down your bowel movements typically. Um, and it's a good time to practice some of these fasts where you're going with less when you are not under the influence of progesterone. Totally. So that would be, you know, one nutritional strategy. Another nutritional strategy that I talk about in the book is to cycle your keto, right? So I am a big fan of the ketogenic diet when done appropriately for women. Um, but not consistently. And this is where I think I really differ from a lot of people in the Mm -hmm. keto space because they're like keto forever and ever and ever. And it's like, well, not really. Not really. Yeah. Yeah, Like if you want neurotransmitters and neuromodulators like dopamine and serotonin, you really shouldn't um, be doing keto forever. So I like to cycle. Um, As women cycle, I think that there's 
a really intelligent cycling approach that you can that you can overlay with your menstrual cycle. And if you're in your and if you're in your menopausal years and you're thinking, okay, well, I don't have a period anymore, there's still value for you to cycle the way that you're eating week in, week out. So you don't have to follow when you're bleeding and when you're ovulating, but you can still go on and off in a way that is going to restrict certain growth pathways and then let them flourish. So when we're when we're doing a ketogenic diet, for example, we're restricting carbohydrates hydrates generally. It's a macronutrient restriction. Yep. Calories tend to be a little lower as well. And you're also restricting in particular a growth pathway because your p- protein is also, uh, it's not high. It's what I'd say moderate, moderate to moderate yeah. low. Um, you're also restricting uh, a pathway called mammalian target of rapamycin or mTOR for short. And we don't want that growth pathway on all the time, right? The only populations that we want mTOR constantly activated is in our pregnant women and in children, because both of those cohorts are growing, right? You're either right. growing a human or you are a human that is growing, right? right? <laughs> totally. So mTOR needs to be activated almost consistently with, with those two populations. And then the other population you see it always activated is like the bodybuilding community because they're yes. lots of protein. They're trying to drive muscle protein synthesis, et cetera. Um, but for, for the rest of us, we want to sort of cycle this growth pathway on and off. So we do that by restricting the carbohydrates and the protein a little bit in that, you know, let's say week one, and then the week, the second week we flip it. So then we would, um, or at least the protocol that I like to outline in the book is I will bring your fat content down because keto tends to be higher in fat, right. but then I'll double, um, the protein. So you may go from like 20% protein in week one to 40% protein, um, in week two. And then I'll also up the carbohydrates as well. And this is where I think we really have to begin. And a a lot of people, when I, when I talk about cycling and increasing carbohydrates, like, Oh my God, aren't I going to gain weight? Isn't isn't that going to make me fat? And isn't all, all, all of these fears around, carbs. But what I would offer is that strategic use of carbohydrates is actually essential for neurotransmitters. Like I was talking about serotonin and dopamine. Mm -hmm. Uh, So for our mood, um, when you are, and I've, and I've done the fitness competition stuff, like you don't eat any carbs, like, you know, the week or the month before been there. Right. And you just, you're miserable. Like you're just like, the worst, right. Peak week, peak months. It's terrible. So you need that for your uh, mood modulators, but you also need it for your thyroid. And this is, you know, so many women, we have thyroid issues, especially if you are a woman that has more than one child, the more children you have, you know, multi-parous women, it's like two kids. And then once you have three kids, it's like your thyroid just jumps off a cliff for whatever reason. Right. You need insulin to convert you know, the inactive form of your, you know, T4 thyroxine into the active form of thyroid, which we call T3. So insulin and it's, you know, um, God, there's so many roles of insulin. Like I could write another book on it, but one of the, one of the, one of the big things about insulin, especially for, you know, women who are trying to put on muscle is that when you are having uh, some carbohydrates, when you pair it with protein, like I, I'm not a, a huge fan of like naked, na- what I call naked carbs, uh, like carbs by themselves. But when you have them with protein, you're actually preventing muscle breakdown. So think about the women who are in perimenopause and menopause. What's the big concern that we all have once estrogen goes away? It's bone density, right? We think about osteoporosis. We think about osteopenia. We think about the trip and fall and like breaking and fracturing the hip. Totally. 
right? So we need insulin in a way to help make like it's an anabolic, it's a growth hormone. Yeah. So when you're using it in an intelligent way, like I'm not saying like chips and cookies and crackers right. you know, all day. I'm <laughs> totally. saying like pair it with some protein, have a really starchy carb, like the carbs that you'll find in vegetables um, and like things like, you know, potatoes and star and rices and stuff. Um, but use that strategically so that you can prevent muscle breakdown and you can, when you're pairing it with protein, now you're another thing that's stimulating muscle growth. So now you're, you're growing your muscles kind of in the kitchen um, as we say, but you're not keeping yeah. that pathway on all the time. Got it. Um, yeah. So that that's, I hope that that was clear. I know that I, I can tend to go on and, and on and on about it, but I would sort of cycle between those two environments where we're ketogenic and then we are higher protein, higher carbohydrate concentration, and then cycle those two environments back and forth from each other. Yeah, absolutely. And it totally makes sense. I mean, because like you said, based on, of course, the different hormones that fluctuate throughout our cycle, our appetite is going to go up. Like I know around ovulation, I am like, give me food. (laughs) I am hungrier. Give me more food. And then also just with training, like personally, I know that on days where I'm going to lift heavier and I'm going to eat more carbohydrates that day because I'm going, my body's really going to utilize that, that sugar is going to utilize that energy and really get it into the muscles. So I'm, yeah, I'm just kind of conscious about, you know, how I'm moving my body and what do I need to eat to really support that? And so speaking of like movement and training, let's dive into that a little bit and how we might want to structure that based on our menstrual cycle. Oh, this is a good question. This is like one of my favorite parts of the book too. So we talk, so I'm a really big believer for all women to be resistance training, Um, but it's the way that you train through your cycle that's important. Um, And again, this is based on the hormonal, you know, fluctuations that we experience through the cycle. So I do want to just start off by saying that a lot of women, when I talk about resistance training, what they say is I want to be toned. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be bulky. Right. I'm scared of bulking. If I lift heavy weights, I don't want to get bulky. And I just would like to finally kill this myth. Please. Like, I, I mean, you, you and I like, okay, so I was competing in fitness and figure. That was the class I was competing in. I wanted the bulk because I knew that we were going to do the shred, like the peak month and then peak week. Do you know how hard it is to put on muscle as a woman? Like we just, Super it's hard. so hard. Super hard. Yeah. And we don't have the testosterone, unless you're supplementing with exogenous tea, we don't have the testosterone to grow these bulky, you know, crazy, you know, and we always, you know, we always think of like, you know, the crazy bodybuilding, you know, freaks or whatever. Yes. Um, you just, you're not going to look like that. And you just, you need to build muscle. And in order to do that, um, there's a couple of different ways, but generally you want to work the muscle to fatigue. Um, because that's how you're going to remodel uh, the muscle itself. So what I like to do is, and the weight is going to differ for for everybody, but in week one and week three of your cycle, I love to um, suggest uh, moderate weight training. So here is where you might see, um, you know, somewhere between eight and 12 repetitions of, you know, of the workout that, you know, the exercise set that you're doing. Yep. And the last three reps, like you'll know it's the right weight. If the last three reps, you can still execute with perfect form, but you're, you're starting to fail, right? Yeah. You're starting to not have the energy to follow through on the, on the movement. 
Um, another thing that we want to um, think, so that's sort of week one and three. Week two is a, is a uh, you know, we finished your period at this point, your pre-ovulation. And this is where we see testosterone in a, a female's cycle spike. So this is where we see testosterone come up. Estrogen also is, comes to its highest apex at this point. Yep. Both of these are anabolic hormones, growth hormones. Mm-hmm. So I like to talk about profiting from these two, like this beautiful conglomerate, right? These two big <laughs> totally. anabolic growth hormones and to lift heavy all week long. So, you know, whether that's a split of upper body, lower body, push, pull, you know, whatever it is that your program is, try to lift as heavy as you can this week. And I define heavy as five to seven reps. So, you know, it's maybe 20% less than your one rep maximum. And then you're like punching that out five times or seven times. Awesome. And that is how we drive muscle protein synthesis in the gym. That's how we increase our muscle mass. And again, I promise you're not going to like pinky swears these, like you're not going to, like you're not going to bonk. So that's week two. And then I want to come, I want to just asterisk week two, because I want to come back to it in a second, but I'll just finish off the cycle with talking about week four. Um, This is right before we bleed, right? This is the pre period week. Um, A lot of us feel inflamed. Uh, We might have sleep disturbances, mood disturbances, et cetera. So it's not necessarily a week to lift heavy. I actually like this week to have higher repetitions with a lower weight. So throughout the month, you've been lifting eight to 10, you know, five to seven reps. And then this week it's like 15 to 20. So you know that the weight is going to come down in order for you to, in order for you to do that higher rep set. And the other thing that you can do, another option, which I know a lot of women don't think about, is you can also rest. <laughs> you can also <laughs> you can also take a break. You've been lifting for three weeks. You can give yourself a rest week. Yep. Um, and you know when you go back, you know when you're you know when week one starts again, then you'll you'll be rested and refreshed, and you'll be able to you'll be able to get after it. Um, so that's sort of how I structure resistance training. There is for the type A's, I call them my type A boardroom Bettys um, <laughs> that totally. are listening that like to do everything a hundred or nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, what I often will hear, I'll have women who will come into, I have a monthly membership. So they'll come in and say, you know what? I, I do like, you know, Peloton or I do these like high intensity interval training, and I do them, you know, five times a week and I can't seem to shift my belly weight. Mm-hmm. And here's what I want to say about that. Um, I think high intensity interval training is great. Uh, I think that it can create new neural pathways. I think that it can create explosive power. Uh, it can really reshape the muscle. It's a really efficient way. Like if you're tight on time, it's a really great way to get in a good workout. However, when you're doing it at that frequency, so four times a week, five times a week, you are essentially sending a chronic stress signal to your nervous system. Like, why are we running away from a tiger five days a week? Like, what is the problem here? Totally. And what happens is you start accumulating fat. Typically when we have X, and this is a hypercortisolemia, like hot, too much cortisol. And what we often find is the woman will complain of like excess belly weight. Like I can't seem to move this belly weight. That is very typical of high, too much cortisol um, in the system. And it's not necessarily, oh, I'm not like just poo-pooing on Peloton. Like, please you know, Peloton sure. group, don't come and sue me for saying this, but like any type of high intensity, you know, in training. And then you couple that with, you know, a woman who let's say has had one or two children and she's been breastfeeding them and the sleeplessness that comes from being a mother. And then maybe she's also 
trying to balance a career with motherhood. And then she's trying to lose some weight to feel good about herself, whatever. You have all of these stressors accruing without anywhere to really be metabolized. So high intensity interval training maximum. And I know that these ladies are going to hate me for saying this, but maximum (laughs) once a week, maximum once a week. Okay. And when you are pre-ovulatory, none at all. Um, And that means the week before your period, or pardon me, the week before you ovulate, absolutely no hit. And the reason for that is because estrogen is so high this week. So Mm -hmm. we talked about testosterone and estrogen in week two, like really being high. Estrogen has, um, it is an anabolic hormone, you know, plumps up our cheeks, makes our eyes white, you know, plumps up our lips, makes us, you know, all, all the feminine mm-hmm. stuff, but it also makes our ligaments very lax, very loosey goosey. Mm-hmm. So you do a lot of explosive movements like sprinting on the bike or sprinting in, you know, on the road or doing burpees or whatever, any type of explosive movement, you are putting a strenuous amount of, uh, of strain on your ligaments. And this is often where we see women injure themselves. We see ACL sprains, we see, and it's documented in the literature. Like this is not just me sort of pulling stuff out of of the air. So stay away from hit before you ovulate. And then you can get back to it in week, you know, one, three, four, you can still do that, but you know, once a week is, would be my strong, strong recommendation there. Absolutely. No, I'm so glad you are sharing this message because I mean, I used to be that very type A, like, go, 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 go. If I wasn't dripping in sweat and pushing it, I was like, well, what's the point? It didn't even count. Totally. (laughs) Totally. And then, you know, it's different as you age, like I'm telling, as you hit your mid thirties, mid to late thirties, I'm just like, my body feels different. I do that type of training and I literally want to go to bed and I'm yawning. Like I, my body cannot handle that. You know, the resiliency when you're in your twenties versus when you're in your thirties and your forties and you're, and you know, it, it changes. And so it's really honoring that cycle for sure. Um, so yeah, so let's, okay. I want to talk about, like, I want to sing the praises of lifting weights Mm -hmm. and the benefits. If you can just tell us why, like, why do we want to lift weights? Why is that going to benefit our health and our hormones and all of that? Okay. So <laughs> first we, we can get the obvious pink elephant out of the room. It's going to make you look great, right? Totally. So sculpted muscles, you know, you're going to have booty gains and your shoulder boulders and like all the beautiful aesthetics that we see yeah. when we see a woman who has shapely muscles. So you're going to look great. Number one, but let's talk about the physiological impacts of this. So the first thing is that, um, and this is sort of a bit of a longevity play, is that as you are increasing your muscle mass, you will necessarily affect your bone density. So your muscles in your body through via tendons uh, and ligaments will attach to your bones. So as you are stressing out and lifting weight heavy enough to rip apart essentially uh, mm-hmm. the muscle because that's what happens when you lift heavy. You are ripping apart some of the the myofibrils, and then they and then they um, uh, they we, you recreate more to get stronger. You are going to also improve your bone density, and this is not just when we look at the bone. There's um, there's two different types of bone. There's like the outside bone, like the shell of the bone, which we call the cortical bone, and then there's like the uh, it's it's like a matrix of like little crisscrosses inside. That's called the cancellous or the trabecular bone. So you will both increase the shell of the of the bone itself and the inside density. 
And that is so important for women because if you've ever looked at an x-ray and I've looked at many of them with osteopenia or osteoporosis, it literally looks like the bone looks like Swiss cheese. It's like, it has all these pock marks. It's like almost like teenage acne. It's like pockmarked all the way through. And then any type of stress like that bone now is very poorly adapted to new stress. So if you trip and fall, for example, or you stub your toe, you know, going downstairs and you lose your balance, um, you are much more likely to fracture that bone. And for the type A's that are listening, that means you can't work out. That means you can't get your dopamine hit, right? You can't, you can't get that hit of like, I did something, I achieved something. So very, very important that we are working out consistently. The other piece um, around bone density, of course, is that we are also going to improve our what's called our position sense or proprioception. So this is just a fancy word for it's, it's like your sixth sense. It's often called the unconscious sense. So we have like taste, vision, touch, you know, we all know those. Um, But proprioception or balance is also going to be facilitated through weight training. So if I were to ask you right now, I know that most people are listening to this from a, you know, listening to this in their ears, but if I were to, if I were to give you like a little test, if hopefully you're not driving. So if you're driving, don't do this, but you know, close your eyes. If I were to say, close your eyes. And then I want you to bring your elbow up to like a 90 degree angle without looking at it. You could probably do it. Right. Mm -hmm. And then when you open your eyes and look, you'll say, Oh yeah, it's like about, it's about 90. Right. Right. The reason why you can approximate that is because of that unconscious sense. You're the change in length of the muscles and the change in position of the bones are telling your brain where you are in space without like your elbow in this specific instance, without you having to look at it. So your proprioception is also super, super important. So we have beautiful booties. We have better, (laughs) better bones, proprioception. The other thing that it does is it helps with your brain. So a lot of perimenopausal women uh, will complain of things like brain fog, um, moodiness, you know, all of a sudden they can't sleep. All of a sudden they just notice that they're way more anxious than they ever were. And part of that is hormonal. Like some of that is the hormonal changes, but as you are lifting weights, you are driving, um, something called B D N F, you know, alphabet soup is just, it's brain derived neurotrophic factor. So it's basically like the miracle grow for your brain. It makes your brain big and juicy. It makes it thick and it maintains it. So not only maintains the nerves that you have, but it helps to birth new nerve cells. So when we're thinking about being able to make decisions, be able to emotionally regulate, be able to plan our days, to to ward off things like, you know, dementia and Alzheimer's, which, you know, very much affect women at a higher frequency than they do men. Weight training is one of the ways that we allow for our brains to not only maintain, but to get bigger over time. So that is probably maybe the most important. Um, I know that most people don't think about our brains because we can't see it, but when you are all of a sudden not able to sleep and you're anxious all the time and you know, you're forgetting, like you walk into a room and you're like, what, why did I come here again? Like, this is why the weight training matters. So those would be sort of the biggest, like one, two, three, Mm -hmm. you know, if I could choose my top three, that would be it. Um, in terms of a metabolic, contributor, the more muscle mass you have, of course, 
the more carbohydrates you can have, right? They are very much, it's like, yay, <laughs> because they are very much a, uh, they're like sponges, right? So they will take, they will act as a, a glucose disposal agent. So you have too much glucose running around, like you had too much of the cheesecake or too much of the bagel or whatever, your muscles are going to sop it up because they also need it. They also yeah. need that glucose in order to maintain, um, their current state. So yeah, there's, there, there would be awesome. four really important reasons. Those are great reasons. No, <laughs> yeah. I love those so much. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad you shared that because I don't just want women getting caught up on like the aesthetic piece of it, which of course is important. Don't get me wrong, you know, but outside of that, it's, it's really the, it's the internal health, it's the brain health and it's the bone, you know, it's all of that, that, that really matters. And that's going to help with aging on, and longevity, which I feel like, Sometimes we just, we, you know, we don't think about it. You know, like I always say prevention isn't very sexy. Like it's we not. we sell prevention essentially for a living and not a lot of people really care. You know, it's, we don't think about that, that long-term and that's what weightlifting is really going to do for you. It's going to support that longevity and that prevention. So thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. And I would also say to most people really underestimate how we age. I think that we, we assume that we age in this linear fashion. Like I'm this, you know, it'll be about like from my twenties to my thirties, this is how I changed. And then from my thirties to my forties. But then if you're not doing anything at 50 or 60, you will fall off a cliff. Like the rate of decline yep. when you are older is much more pronounced than it is when you're younger. So wherever, like however old you are now listening to this, it's obviously never too late. Like you can, you're, you're alive. You're listening to this podcast you can start today, but don't underestimate how, if you are not doing some of these strategies, uh, like weightlifting that we've been talking about, how that will, um, there will be a nonlinear exponential rate of decline. And I think humans don't actually talk like we can't, it's hard for us to think in ex, like exponential thinking. For sure. We think like, you know, we think of the X, Y axis and we just think of like the straight, you know, diagonal line. That's how most of us think, but there is absolutely an exponential rate of decline if you're, if you're not careful. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, this has been amazing and I don't want to keep you for too long, but before you go, I do want to talk about your self-care routine and your non-negotiables and what that looks like for you, if you can share that with us. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So one of the things I have become almost fanatical about is my sleep. I used to, uh, and I talk about this in, in, in the book, I used to be part of you know the 4am club and the other am clubs. Totally. I have broken up with those clubs um, emphatically and I will never go back. Um, <laughs> my body works really well when I sleep for nine hours. Um, mm -hmm. I can get by on eight, like I'm fine, but mm -hmm. I just, I'm not as sharp. I'm not as articulate. I don't have the motivation or the focus. So nine hours is my sweet spot. So I like to, um, I like to sleep for nine hours. Um, my children are older now. So when they were younger, I didn't really have much of a morning routine. It was like my morning routine was them, you know, waking me up. <laughs> totally. No, no morning routine. But now they're, you know, they're 10 and eight. So I can wake up and go down. I have a, a home gym um, that I've built out and they'll come down when they work. Like if, you know, I'll wake up somewhere around 6.30 and I'm working out probably around 7, 7.15 and they'll come down around 7, 7.15 and they'll do some kind of work. Like we'll work out oh, together. Like that's they- great mommy and then they do they do what mommy's doing um so i work out usually in the morning um and then i like to get um 
either before my workout, actually I do it most times before my workout, I'll have a little cup of espresso and I go outside. So I love to hear the birds chirping. It's like my little piece of, like, I just love, and I try to, as the sun is rising or wherever it is when I'm, when I'm up and out there, I try to get some light into my retina and try to, you know, just get some light, natural light exposure. Totally. Uh, I start working um, probably around nine nine thirty, so like shower, all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and then get the ki- like we're homeschooling our children right now, so right. they getting them on their classes and like planning out the day. So I start working around nine thirty. I usually you know finish work like I have an absolutely no more capacity after about four, so I'm yeah. interrupted all day long for my kids, and I do interviews like this and like. Yeah. You know, and- like kind of spent around four. So I'll go for a walk with the children. We'll go to the park, bike ride, that kind of thing. Um, And then dinner, we'll usually sit down together um, around 5.30 or 6. And one of the things I'm, I'm also like, you know, in relation to sleep is like all the lights in the house, Mm -hmm. like outside. So we don't have lights on at seven or eight o'clock. Like it's all, it's either in the middle of the winter, it's like candlelight, uh, or we have those little, um, those little night lights that you plug into the floor. So, you know, it's dark at, you know, I'm in, I'm in Toronto. So, you know, in the winter time, it's dark at 4.30 or 5 o'clock sometimes, right? So we'll have those little night lights just so we don't fall down the stairs. But generally the inside of the house looks like the outside of the house. And then I'm in bed around, you know, nine ish. And that's, that's kind of my, and then, you know, lather, rinse and repeat. (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. I love that. That's a really beautiful routine. And we're really similar in terms of the lighting. We are, our inside is, is the outside. Like it's dark. It's very, we have dimmers on everything. Um, we also bought these lights. I forget what they're called. Um, hue hue lights so it actually Mm. connects to your phone and you can change the dimness and like the colors on them oh that's so yeah it's really cool because the red light doesn't impact the blue light right so if we do need uh lights on in the house and um say we're like you know we want to watch a movie or something like that well instead of having like the tv on and then all these lights on we try and keep things really dark. So we put, we put the red, the red hue on and it's, it's pretty That's cool. Smart. You can just, and so you can dim it, like it connects to all the different lamps in our house. So at nighttime, we just go to the app, dim everything and it like comes down and it's, it's actually really great. We're like, that was a really good investment on our part. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a great, it's H-U-E. That's what yeah. It's H-U-E. Hmm. It's like the light, these light bulbs. I mean, most light bulbs are going to be pretty inexpensive. These ones, you know, you're probably looking like 60 or $70, but it, it's so worth it. We put it in like all of our lamps and then you just can, you can just dim it and you can like set the tone and the mood and all that stuff. And I think you can also set it for like in the morning to like, you know, with the sunlight kind of like rays oh, and like get brighter. Great. Yeah. Mm. So it's, it's really nice. So that's, that's what we have. And um, I hate the lights on at night. Like I hate bright light at nighttime. I'm just, oh yeah. yeah. Like even if I have to like you know, put leftovers away in the fridge or something. I'm like, oh my God, it's 10 o'clock and I have to open this fridge right now. Like, right. <laughs> you know, just You're like getting like- out your black sunglasses. <laughs> yeah. <and> like, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Well, that was so fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing all your incredible knowledge with us today. Where can our listeners connect with you and find you and get your book? Oh, well, if you want to pick up the Betty Body, um, most online retailers. So if you're in Canada, I've uh, been told that it's on like chapters Indigo online, Amazon uh, in the States, Barnes and Noble, Goodreads, Amazon, all those places. And then 
I have a podcast where we do weekly, you know, anywhere that you're listening to this pod, you can, you can probably find mine. It's called better with Dr. Stephanie. And then if you want to, um, I sort of have my Instagram is kind of like my little micro blog. Like I'll, you know, kind of throw up a couple of thoughts on, on Instagram. So Dr. First name, last name, Dr. Stephanie Estima on Instagram is where you can find me and chat. Amazing. Well, we'll have all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, ladies, for being with us today. I really hope you enjoyed our episode. If you would like to connect with Dr. Stephanie Estima, you can find her over on Instagram at dr.stephanie.estima. And if you'd like to get your hands on her new book, head on over to bettybodybook.com and you can check out all the goods over there. Thanks again for being with us. If you have any questions or want to connect with me, find me over on Instagram at Holistic Wellness Foodie. And you can also head to our website, Holistic Wellness. We post recipes, all of our show notes. And if you're looking to join us in our recipe club or any of our online programs or look for one-on-one coaching support to optimize your weight and your hormones, come join us in our Dutch hormone program. You can head to holisticwellness.ca forward slash Dutch program for all the details. And if you haven't left us a rating and a review, I would so appreciate it. It really helps our show to get noticed. And it also helps us to be able to reach more women globally and to support them on their healing hormone journey. Thanks again for being with me. I'll chat with you all next week. Take care. Bye.